Welcome, welcome back. Um, I wanted to uh, just start off by uh, acknowledging, as uh, we talked about, um, as, as Pastor Dan mentioned a few minutes ago, that uh, there's a couple dozen women that are up at the women's retreat. So um, my uh, in-laws were very come and help me out kind of as I'm navigating everything. Um, and so I took the liberty, though, to um, dress Shaylin, my oldest daughter, uh, in orange and black in honor of the San Francisco Giants, because I'm like, ain't nobody can tell me what to wear. Um, so I know, but here's the thing. I can say that because the Padres beat us three out of four games in this last series. So yeah, it's fine. I'm going to assume you're clapping for my good parenting and not for the fact that the Padres won, but I'm pretty sure I'm wrong. Um, but no, and so then my, our youngest, Elise, we got her just in her, uh, her, her favorite shirt. So I kind of was trying to eliminate as many issues as we have, uh, could have this morning. Um, and so it's, it's been a good, between San Francisco Giants representation and uh, Elise's favorite shirt, I feel like this was a good, successful weekend of parenting. Um, this morning, uh, if you are new with us or um, haven't been with us the past few weeks, we are going through a series called Changing Neighborhoods. Uh, this all stems from the idea of my wife and I changing neighborhoods from Upland, California, moving down here to Poway, California in order to uh, be able to, to be part of this church and to be excited about this next season to honor the season and to see where God might, may take us in the future. And so the whole premise of this series is this idea of what if we went beyond changing neighborhoods just purely because we've moved addresses, but instead, what if we were changing neighborhoods because we wanted to address how God wants to move in where we live? And so we want to see how God may call us to move and, and work and serve and do incredible things through our neighborhoods here in San Diego County. And so the first week, we started off just talking about uh, Jeremiah 29 and this idea of taking action, that he had written a letter to the people in exile and said, hey, listen, instead of saying separated from your community, from your neighborhood, from your city, I'm calling you to go in. I'm calling you to look, seek the betterment of your community, to seek and pray for the prosperity, the shalom of your community, to make sure that your community and your neighborhood is better because you, as people who believe in me and follow me, are living there. And so that's what we looked at is taking action, not staying on the outside, but really uh, investing part of the neighborhood. And then last week we looked at changing neighborhoods through compassion. And we looked at the story of the feeding of the 5,000, how some of us, we look at like the disciples, we have a compassion, but we say, hey, this, this need is too big. That must be somebody else's problem. Or maybe we're like Andrew who says, hey, the need is great and I can't fix it, but I'll help find somebody who can. So he finds this little boy who has his lunch and gives that up. Or maybe we're like the little boy who says, listen, all that I have, it may be very small, but I'm gonna offer this up because one small act of compassion offered up to God can have an incredible impact and an incredible ability to, to go beyond whatever it is that we may think we can do on our own. And God takes those acts of compassion, whether big or small, and he takes it and he blesses it and he breaks it and he multiplies it. So that's where we've been in this series. And this morning, we are going to take the next step and dive into changing neighborhoods through serving. And so before we dive into Jeremiah 1, which is where we will be in a few moments, I'll ask that you join me in a word of prayer as we open up God's word and that we ask that God opens up our hearts to what he has for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you that you are with us. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that is here, and I pray that each and every person that is here knows that they are loved by you, that they were formed by you, that you um, have made them well, 
and that you want to draw closer to each and every one of them, Lord. And so I pray that in this time, I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in an incredible and mighty way to each person that is here. Uh, God, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I know when we talk about serving, there might be some of you that might be tempted to kind of maybe turn your brain off or, or say, hey, you know what, I'm already serving. Um, I'm already doing this, this, and that. And so you may not necessarily feel that inclination to, to pay attention. I ask that you, you stay with us, though, because, you know, serving is something that we have the opportunity to do both inside as well as outside the church, that we have opportunity to serve here within our various ministries, but then also to find ways to change our neighborhood and serving outside of our church body. But either way, it's an opportunity for us to have an impact on those around us. Now, I want to share a brief story of how I believe that serving and the desire to serve may have saved my life. Now, when I uh, was down at UC San Diego for my second year, I'd just given my life to the Lord in September of 2003, and I was going to my second year, my sophomore year over here at UCSD, and I started doing this thing where I took the, um, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan really seriously. So I would see if I saw cars on the side of the road, whether it's wise or safe or not, I would pull over and ask if there's anything I could do to help. You know, sometimes the car was empty, they'd already left. Other times, one time I was on the way home from Bible study, had an opportunity to stop, a guy uh, gave him a ride and was able to give him a ride and just talk to him about Jesus a little bit. And so there was one time though, that as I was driving, I was driving north on the five and I um, saw a car on the side of the road. I'm like, okay, I need to, I missed it. I'll move over and I'll go to the other side. So I got off on the 52, came back around and then came back down south on the five and, you know, while I was on the five and I saw, the reason I couldn't get to the car in time was because I was in the fast lane uh, going a very safe and legal 65 miles an hour. Um, and I wasn't able to move over in time. And so I ended up going over, going back around, coming back down on the five. And I'm in the right-hand lane because I realized, I'm, you know, I need to exit right away to get back to that car. But as I'm in the right-hand lane and as I'm uh, approaching the exit, my brakes went out. And they were, they were uh, I started pushing on the brakes, nothing was stopping. I looked behind me and there's snow, smoke behind me, which is never a good sign. And I was just like, I don't know what to do. And I, I pulled over to the side of the road and there was enough of the brake pads for me to actually stop, but there was smoke everywhere. I, I wasn't even, I didn't even have the wherewithal at the time to pull the emergency brake. Like I just wasn't even thinking. I got over to the side of the road, my heart is pumping, there's adrenaline and I, I'm like, I can't believe that just happened. And then it wasn't until a little bit later that I realized I was going in the fast lane, going a safe 65 miles an hour. Had I not pulled over and made that transition to come back around, I would have not been on the side of the road. I would not have been in the lane close to the shoulder. And what would have happened had I been driving in the fast lane and my brakes went out then? How would that have impacted my life? How would that have impacted the car in front of me? or maybe a couple cars in front of them. I mean, we don't even know. And so that's not a story to, to, to pat myself on the back. That's a story to say that for me, that idea to serve actually may have saved my life. Now, for some of us, when it comes to this idea of serving, we, we serve because that's what you're supposed to do. Like, that's just part of who you are. That's part of what we do. So we serve, and so that's the motivation behind it. For others of us, 
the serving, we serve because it gives us life, because we're able to find that area in which we're excited about and God has called us to do, and so that gives us life. But for some of us, the reason we serve is because there has been a tragedy in our lives, and, and out of that brokenness, out of those ashes, God has stirred up a passion to help others who are in that same brokenness. That we recognize that the only way to deal with this pain or to cope with this heartache is to be able to help others, and that in and of itself may end up saving our lives. Maybe not physically, but, but saving the purpose and saving that call that God has and bringing light in a very difficult time or through a very difficult wound or situation. So some of us, you know, that's why we serve. But for some of us, we, we don't serve. For some of us, we, we get moved by stories of serving, but we haven't quite been moved to actually serving on our own. That we get excited, we hear, oh, that's such a great story that God is doing this in that area, or, oh, I love seeing how this person does this and serves in that way, and we get excited, we're moved by that. We feel like an emotional excitement about it, but we haven't yet taken that next step to then be moved to service. And there's various reasons why. And so what we want to do this morning is to dive in to Jeremiah chapter 1. It's going to be on page uh, 1171170 if you're using the church Bible. Um, if you're on your phone or if you have a, another Bible, it's Jeremiah verse, or chapter 1 verse 4. Because all of us, each and every one of you in this room, has been created for a purpose. Each and every one of you in this room has a calling to serve. Each and every one of you in this room, if you are still here and God has not taken you home yet, if you are still here, then God is not done. He who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. And we have been created as God's masterpieces for good works, as Ephesians 2 talks about. We'll hit on that later. But if you are still here, God is not done. And so we want to be able to process through why do we maybe have some, what are some questions we may have about calling? What are some insecurities we may have about that calling? And then how does God respond to those insecurities? So we'll start off with a few truths about our calling. And this is from Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5, primarily landing on verse 5. The word of the Lord came to me, this is Jeremiah speaking, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now the first truth that we see about calling here in just verse 5 specifically is that God's calling is personal. It's personal. That we see here that says, uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. How much more personal and intimate can we get of a picture of God than him forming us in our mother's womb? Before we even took a breath, he was able to just put together the exact eye color and the exact um, gifts, the exact exact height, I wish he gave me more, the exact, um, all these different things. He formed us perfectly in the way that he wanted us to be. And so before he even, before we took a breath, God knew us and he was breathing life into us. So we see this idea of he knew Jeremiah. It was personal. No can also be this idea of being chosen. That he, that he knew that each and every one of us, he knew us personally, but then he had a specific choice that he has chosen you for a specific reason. That he didn't have leftover clay up in heaven and thought, with the leftovers, I'm just going to make another human. 
No, no, no. He looked at you. He formed you. He shaped you. He molded you. And he knew the heartaches and the wounds and the pain we were going to have. And he knew the gifts and the joys and the passions we would have. And he knew that. And he breathed life into you. Because his calling is personal. He's calling to each and every one of us to serve in various different ways. To live and to love and to follow after him. Number two. Not only is God's calling personal, but God's calling has been prepared for us in advance. We see this when he says that I set you apart. That he looked and he said, okay, this is the role that I'm preparing you for, Jeremiah. He didn't know. Jeremiah didn't know while he was in his mom's womb that this is going to be the calling upon his life. God did, but he had been prepared along this journey to the point where then he had been set apart for this exact role. To be a prophet. That for us, if you picture like an orchestra or you picture a symphony, uh, fun fact is I played the flute for five years in junior high. Uh, for some reason, I didn't put that on my resume here when I applied. Um, <laughs> but I played the flute for five years. And it's one of those where like picture going to this beautiful symphony and, and this beautiful orchestra. And if it was all flutes, it would be nice, but it wouldn't be an orchestra. You wouldn't have the brass or the woodwinds or the percussion. You wouldn't have all of it coming together. That we've all been set apart to do our part. And when you all play your parts, when I play our, my part, when we play our parts, it's like we're all playing an instrument. We're all playing our line. We're all playing our part of music for this time to be part of God's body and God's symphony. And that beautiful music is our act of worship to him that brings joy to his heart and it brings people unto him. And so we get to play our part well. We get to recognize how we've been set apart and in so doing recognize how we can play our part well, that this is what we've been set apart to do. And we see in Ephesians 2.10, as I alluded to earlier, for we are God's handiwork. That word can also be translated masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That some of us here, we've, we found that we found that area in which he's called us and prepared us for. Others of us haven't yet. But that calling is there. Third, God's, call, God's calling reveals his purpose for our lives. That, he wasn't, that Jeremiah just wasn't personal, that he was known and chosen. It wasn't just that he was set apart, but it actually revealed the purpose that he would be appointed as a prophet. That he would be able to speak into nations and kingdoms and that that was the purpose for which God had called him. And, and as we'll see in a moment, he didn't even want that. He felt insecure about that calling. But regardless of insecurities, God is still with us. And he shows us that our security is not in the things that we try to place it in here, but it's security is, our security is in him and him alone. And so for me, for my story, when I look at my calling, I recognize that uh, in high school, I was depressed and suicidal, and I had a few teachers that really invested in me. And so because of that, I wanted to be a high school teacher that was able to invest in, in the next generation of students and, and show them hope, uh, because that's what I had received. And so I thought, well, I, out of all the things I'm in, interested in in school, that I'd like to teach English. So I taught, I was like, okay, I'll teach high school English. I went to UCSD to, as an English major, um, literature major. And so that's what I thought that my calling was going to be because I wanted to be able to have an impact on, on students. And if that meant teaching Shakespeare, then that's fine. But it was only through this idea of, okay, that was a personal thing because of a personal struggle I went through. 
I had this, this inkling, this desire to pour into this next generation, to pour into students. And then it, I was set apart for that I'd always had a desire to teach. I'd always enjoyed that type of thing. But the difference was is that the purpose for which I had been called changed when I gave my life to the Lord. And the Lord revealed to me that instead of teaching and pouring into students and teaching them Shakespeare, I'll be able to pour into students and teaching them Scripture. And recognize that sometimes that calling in our lives isn't a complete 180. Sometimes it is, Right. But sometimes it's not a complete 180. Sometimes it's just a, a, a five degree difference. But as we follow this path, it takes us drastically different than it would be as we follow that path down the road. And so I recognize that for me, it was this idea of being in, uh, giving my life to the Lord in September of 2003. And by November of 2003, I was at uh, UCSD going to The Rock. At the time, I was at San Diego State. I know now it's a Point Loma, but... Um, and as the pastor was preaching, I was sitting right here uh, in the f- near the front, and um, I felt the Lord saying, I want you to do that. And I tried to push back. I tried to, to say that, you know, this is not what I want. I've only been here for a couple months as a Christian. I don't even really know what this is yet. And so I started to, to kind of voice some of my insecurities. And through that process, I felt it was very clear that that's what God had wanted me to do. And so I went home on that Thanksgiving break. This was just about a week or two after I felt that calling from the Lord in the, ser- in the service. And I shared with my dad, and it's one of those where um, he and I kind of had a little bit of a conflict because he wanted me to stay at UCSD because it was like a top 35 university at the time. And uh, Azusa Pacific University is a small Christian university that wasn't a top 35 university. And it's one of those where he didn't quite understand why I'd want to do that. And so he was like, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to pay for you to do that. Um, he wasn't mean. It wasn't hard hearted, but it was, he wanted me to really stay with where I was. And so I left that really disheartened, discouraged, and not quite sure how God wanted to work in that. And it was about a, a couple weeks later that I got a phone call from him And he just shared that, you know, hey, I had a dream last night that you were having a really hard time um, at your school. And so if if you want to transfer and go to APU, I'll pay for you to go. And I believe that God literally gave my dad a dream in order to open up that door. And so now the calling had not just been this internal how I felt it. There's an external validation of it to reveal the purpose for our lives. And so I felt called to be a senior pastor and it took me about 14 years to get there since that calling to now, but um, I couldn't be more thankful for uh, the season in our lives and the season in our church um, to be able to know that this is the time that, that God has brought us here for such a time as this, as, as our women's ministry learning about that and uh, learning through Esther this weekend for such a time as this. That's, that's where we are this morning as well. And so we see these things about calling, that it's personal, that we're chosen and known, that we've been set apart, so it's prepared for us in advance to do, and that also it reveals our purpose for our lives, that I know that my purpose, besides being a, a son of God, a husband, a father, the purpose that the calling he has given me is to be a, a senior pastor, and, and I'm so excited to be here. And so with that being said, there's two common insecurities that Jeremiah voices that we too can voice when we face this kind of calling that seems either too big, too grandiose, or too scary, just to be blunt about it. And so this is what uh, Jeremiah responds to those encouraging things about calling. This is how he responds in verse 6. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. If, you, if that sounds familiar, those are very similar words when Moses was called in the burning bush episode in uh, Exodus 3 when he says, you know, I don't know how to speak. I've never been good with my words. 
that we see this person in leadership that's been called to do this. He says, I don't know how to speak and I'm too young. And so here's what those insecurities boil down to on our end. Number one, one of our top insecurities is that I'm not good enough. That he says, I can't speak. It's not that he wasn't physically able to do it. He says, I'm not eloquent. I'm not able to do that. I'm not good enough to do that which you have called me to do. Now, for some of you, maybe it's not that you're not good enough. Maybe you feel this, this, hey, I'm not, I don't know how I'm going to relate to high schoolers, so I'm not going to be able to serve with junior high or high school because that's too intimidating. No, 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 that's what we need. We need people to invest. Maybe you're saying I'm not smart enough, or maybe you're saying I'm not funny enough, or I'm not outgoing enough, or whatever it may be, but that idea of I am not enough is one of the greatest lies that anyone would like each and every one of us to believe. That he would love to just put that on repeat in our ears whenever God is calling us to something big. He says, oh, that's a great idea, but you're not good enough. Oh, that's a great idea, but you're not smart enough. You're not equipped. And he would love for us to believe that because if we continue to believe our insecurities, then we'll be stunted in the ability for us to be able to do what God has called us to do. And God's kingdom may not be able to be, um, we would not be able to play our part in that beautiful symphony that we've been called to play. So this idea of I'm not good enough, and it's so easy for us to tear ourselves down. It's so easy for us in a culture where things are always being criticized and torn down that we just put ourselves in that same boat. But if we truly believe the scriptures, then isn't putting ourselves down and tearing ourselves down a stab against God and the heart of God? Because we see as Psalm 139, 13 and 14 say, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Now, if we believe the scripture, we believe that that we are wonderful, that God has made wonderful works, then when we tear ourselves down or allow others to speak louder and tear ourselves down rather than the voice of truth that speaks into our hearts, then then we are missing it. So I'm going to do something that might feel a little uncomfortable, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyways. I'm going to ask you in a moment, based on this scripture, Psalm 139, to say these words, I am wonderful. So ready? One, two, three. I am wonderful. Now, not just that, but this idea that I'm wonderfully made and your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So I am wonderful that God has made me full of wonder of who he is. He has made me perfectly, not that I'm perfect because of sin, honestly, but the way that he's made us is wonderful. And so I'm going to ask you to say something else in a moment that not just I am wonderful, but I want you to say I am wonderful and I know that full well. Ready? I am wonderful and I know that full well. Was that itchy for anybody else to say out loud? Was that tough to say? Because we're so used to tearing ourselves down that it's hard for us to take hold of the truth that God does not make mistakes and he has not made a mistake on anyone in this room that he formed us and created us and breathed life into us because he set us apart. He has a personal calling and he has a purpose for which we've been called. Stephen Furtick says it this way. He says, before you were born, before any of your defects were apparent to you, they were absolutely apparent to God. But that didn't stop him from calling your name and setting you apart. He placed you on the earth at a certain time for a pre-decided purpose. That God knew while he's forming us the struggles we would have, the temptations we would face, the wounds we would experience, and the heartache that would come our way. 
He would also know the gifts that he'd given us and the passions that would ignite our fire, that we would have the fire lit once again and the joys that we would receive. But taking both the good and the bad, he still saw us and said, this is when I'm going to bring you into the earth and this is the neighborhood in which I'm going to place you so that in 2018, we are all here together for such a time as this in order to have an impact and to change our families, change our lives, change our neighborhoods. And that we... When we recognize that if we allow our insecurities to hold us back, our defects, our brokenness, then, then we're missing on the fact that God knew those were going to happen and he didn't hold back on us. And he still called us to something for his glory. I had a friend when I was at UCSD when I was struggling with, with uh, just not feeling good enough in general. That's, that's a struggle I've had in my life. Um, she, she wanted to encourage me, and so she sent me a note that said she had been told to tell me something. I said, what were you told? So I want to read this to you, because this was life-giving, and I hope it's life-giving to you as well. She said, I was told to tell you how much God loves you and how proud he is to call you his. And he wants you to acknowledge that as the king of the universe, he did everything right in making you. He is pained when you deny him that. Have faith in who he made you, deeper than a leader, but as JP, as a prince of this most high king, as his warrior and friend, don't think he didn't make you enough. He made you just enough, the perfect amount. And you will never forget the way he smiles when you know that in your heart. God has made you more than enough. He made you the perfect amount that he doesn't look at you and, and say, oh, uh, I made a mistake here, but you know, we'll, we'll take care of it later. He looked and he set you aside. He knew you were born. He gave you and set you apart in order to have a specific purpose he prepared in advance for. And he created this purpose and you to meet that perfect purpose, to play that instrument in the orchestra and the symphony of God's body of Christ that would be a fragrant aroma, that would be a beautiful, joyful noise to him. And so... This idea of I'm not good enough is not an idea that we can take hold of. And believing we are not good enough is not good enough for children of God. We need to believe in that he has made us enough, the perfect amount. Doesn't mean we are perfect on our own, but he made us well and wonderful. Number one is I'm not good enough. Number two is the excuse that, or the, sorry, the insecurity, I am not ready. Because Jeremiah says, not only do I not know how to speak, I'm too young. I'm too young. So maybe for some of us, we think, okay, well, you know, I'm in high school now, and so there, it's kind of crazy figuring out classes and everything and, and figuring out what this looks like. So once I get to college, then, then that way I'll be able to be ready to start serving God. Or for some of us, well, maybe it's not in college because, oh, man, I didn't realize how much work this was going to take, and I want to meet people and all these things. So maybe um, it's not after college, it's, or it's not during college, but when I graduate, then my life will be a lot easier. Then we try to join the workforce, and we say, okay, once, once I get my work established and, and I'll be able to do that, then I'll be ready to serve because then I'll have more time. And then we'll think, well, maybe it's when I get married. Maybe it's one of those where I'll have an opportunity to, we'll serve together and I'll wait on that and then I'll be ready. And then if you're really foolish like I was, you think, when I have kids, I'll have more time. I'm not even going to ignore that. Um, and then you think of, well, maybe when my kids go uh, out, of the, out of the home, maybe when we're empty nesters, then we'll have more time, then we'll be ready. And so maybe you say, well, now there's still a lot of work stuff going on, and now maybe it's when I'm retired, then I'll be ready. And then all of a sudden, we look back on the decades of our lives, recognizing that we were so busy 
thinking we weren't ready that we never answered that call, that we never responded, that we could have missed out on decades of being able to bless others, but decades of being blessed as well. So maybe for some of us, we feel like we're not ready that way. Maybe for some of us, we feel like we're not ready until there's a certain education level we have, a certain amount of work experience we have, maybe a certain amount of just training or resources. And so I'm not ready because, again, going and hearkening back to the I'm not good enough, I'm not ready either. But the truth is, is that we can't always just be waiting on this next time of, I'll be ready at some point, but today is the day for us to be ready to whatever God has for us. Today is the day that he's been stirring something, whether it's inside the church, a ministry you want to be a part of, uh, a way that you want to have an impact, or whether it's outside the church and wanting to change our neighborhoods, that today's the day for us to respond because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised that we're going to make it to retirement age and be able to look back. We're not promised that, but we are promised that God is with us and that he would set aside a calling for our lives and a purpose for which we've been made, and so he is with us. We're not promised that, but we are promised today. Right now, we're promised that we, if he has us here, he's not done with us yet. And there's power in that truth. For me, um, last Memorial Day, uh, I was, my in-laws and our family, we came down here to the San Diego Zoo to kind of get away for uh, a weekend. And before I left, my supervisor in my previous church was just saying, hey, I really want you to just keep praying about whether or not God is calling you to be a senior pastor. Because if, if not, then I would, you know, there may be a potential in, in time for you to take my job and, and be able to oversee all the groups of, of this church and, and kind of drive that force. But, I, you know, I need to know if you're going to be around. And I remember coming and praying, and I, and I knew the answer, but I still prayed and, and felt very clearly that God was, was still having that be the, the, the calling that, to be a senior pastor. And so, but I remember thinking, you know, man, I'm probably going to need like a two-year transition. I'm going to be able to like, I'm not ready yet to be able to do this. So this is going to take a while. And 10 months later, here we are. So, um, but the timing of it was, was wonderful. And the timing of it was what we needed. And, and we're excited to come in, in, into this church and, and the timing of how God is working here. And so, but I the timing of saying, I'm not ready. I knew when I gave my life to the Lord, I wasn't ready to be a senior pastor, but I did know that my next step, my first step was to just start serving in the church. I didn't know what my gifts were. I didn't know what that looked like. I just, my wife was going and, and at a church in, in San Dimas and she said, hey, they're looking for someone to help out on the high school ministry on Wednesday nights. I said, okay, I'm there. And the first night I showed up, I was part of the high school night, didn't know anybody, felt really uncomfortable about it. But through the years of working with high school ministry and then working in groups, and then the first night I showed up, I didn't know what I was doing there. I wasn't ready. My last day ever showing up to a church service at CCV was just a couple months ago when they ordained me to be set aside for being a senior pastor here. That I didn't know all the steps in between, but I knew the first step. And it's moving in the first step, one step at a time, that we may not be ready now, but if we never start, we'll never be ready. And so I want to close with just a few of God's responses to our insecurities, a few ways in which he looks at verses seven through 10, that he looks at Jeremiah's insecurities and he responds to them directly. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you and will rescue you declares the Lord. 
Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I put my words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And so the, the, the responses God has is it says, starts off with this. So stop, number one, stop allowing your insecurities to hold you back. Stop allowing your insecurities to hold you back. That voice that keeps telling you you're not good enough, that voice has no place in your heart. And we rebuke that voice in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. That stop allowing your insecurities to hold you back. Because we're not serving out of our own strength, but as 1 Peter 4.11 talks about, we're serving out of the strength God has given us. Warren Wearsby puts it this way. It's one thing for us to know our own weaknesses, but it's quite something else for us to say that our weaknesses prevent God from getting anything done. Instead of being an evidence of humility, this attitude reeks of pride. That if we think that our insecurities are too big for God to overcome, then we have a too small of a view of our God. Because he can overcome those things. Number two, start obeying. Start obeying. And God doesn't want our excuses. He wants our obedience. He doesn't want to allow insecurities to become an excuse. He wants us to follow one step at a time. That we recognize that we say that your word is like a lamp unto my feet. And I don't know about you, but I've often, when I think about a lamp unto my feet, usually in our days, it's like a huge mag light flashlight that'll show me the rest of the path. But the Hebrew for lamp unto my feet is actually not mag light. It's crazy. Um, instead, it's just the idea if it's like a candle. It's like we see the next step right in front of us. And if his word is a lamp unto our feet, it's, it's one step at a time, one step at a time, following in obedience, trusting his word, trusting his calling, trusting who he is and his presence in our lives. And then we get to the end of the road and we get to look back and see all the works that God had done. And we get to be a part of that journey and to see that. But some of us, because we're so used to seeing all the way down the path, we won't take the first step until we know that every struggle will not happen. We'll have a contingency plan for everything. And it becomes so overwhelming that we get paralysis by analysis and we don't move forward. So the number one is stop allowing insecurities to hold you back. Number two is start obeying. Number three, stop being afraid that the insecurities, when he says, I'm too young, he says that can no longer hold you back. Don't allow your insecurities to hold you back. When he says that you must go to everyone, start obeying and go where he says to go and do what he says to do. But then when he says, do not be afraid of them for I will and with you. This idea that we, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline, as 2 Timothy 1.7 says. So start obeying. Number three, stop being afraid. And number four, start trusting that he will be with you. That he is with us. He will hem us in before and behind we trust in him with all our own hearts, lean not on our own understandings, but in all our ways acknowledge him. He will make our path straight. That he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is our God and we are his people. Start trusting that he will be with you. Stephen Furtick in a different part of the, the book says this. In other words, God based his argument on his own ability. I am with you. I won't leave you. That's your confidence. That's your hope. That it's not about our abilities but it's on his ability that he is with us. That is our confidence. That is our hope. And so why do we go to Jeremiah 1 and, and use this to close out our sermon today? But why are we doing this? Because it's through Jeremiah 1. It's through the calling that 
Jeremiah received in this time, that he recognized that God was with him, and he recognized that he need not be afraid, that he recognized that he needed to say whatever it was that God had called him to do, that he needed to respond and play the instrument in God's symphony that God had called him to, it's because of his obedience there that we get to read in the first week of our series from Jeremiah 29, because it's that's Jeremiah that wrote this letter that said, now go seek the prosperity and the blessing and the shalom of your city. So if you and I, if we stay in a place where we don't acknowledge the calling and we don't respond to the calling, we and our city, our neighborhood is missing out on what God would have to do with us. That if we don't respond to the calling, then we don't know how San Diego County wouldn't be blessed and how they wouldn't seek prosperity. And not just prosperity of health and wealth. That's not what we're talking about. But the true shalom of understanding, the true peace that comes with understanding who Jesus is. So it starts with the calling. And so this today, we're taking a 30,000 foot view of serving, not the here are your opportunities to serve. Here's what it looks like to serve the heart of service. We have a series that'll be planned for later this year about those types of items. But today we just want to take the 30,000 foot view of recognizing that all of us have been called to something that we all have some sort of insecurities, but that God's responses to insecurities is not based on anything we could do on our own, but it's based on who he is, that he is our confidence, he is our hope, and he is the one through which we can find our purpose and end up changing our neighborhoods. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, and we thank you that you are with us. God, we thank you that you've created us and formed us in our mother's wombs, that, that you had a purpose and a, and a um, a personal calling for us even before we were born. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's any insecurities that have been holding us back, Lord, I pray that we would not buy into the voices of I'm not good enough or I'm not ready, but, Lord, we would rather recognize that you have made us enough and that you ready us. And so we can trust in you and allow um, us to take the next step, the first step, whatever that may be. So, Father, I pray that you would light the fire within us again, that you would move in our hearts and recognize that today is the day in which we can move forward with whatever it is you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we're going to take communion and the ushers are going to come forward. And as they're doing that, we're going to go ahead and have this time where we recognize that for us, we serve a God who sent his son Jesus, who Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. That he recognized that his personal calling was to be the savior of the world, that God had called him to do that, that he had been set apart and prepared in advance to do, that he was without sin, but because he was without sin, he was the only one that was equipped to take on the full ramifications of our sins. And that because he took on the full ramifications of our sins, his purpose was revealed, that he is the Lord and savior, that if we confess our name, or confess our mouths and believe in our hearts that he is Lord, that we can be saved, that salvation can come through no other name than Jesus Christ, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the opportunity that we have, and that is the God whom we serve. So we too want to be those who did not come to be served, but to serve, so we can be able to show other people this beautiful peace prosperity and shalom that comes with a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if they could come forward and go ahead and start handing out the elements as we take the bread that represents Jesus's body that was broken and his, the cup that represents his blood that was shed, 
We take this in communion and thanksgiving for that. And if you're new here, or if you don't have a relationship with God, you're on your journey with him still, don't feel pressure to take it. But if you're a member here, or if you know the Lord and you are close to him and you want to take this time to commune with him, this is an important opportunity for us to take that communion, to recognize who Jesus is, and to thank him that he fulfilled his purpose for which he was set apart and the calling that he, he answered that calling so we may have eternal life. So please feel free to partake as you feel led. specific callings and different callings than others. And so uh, as evidenced by the fact that I'm really bad at singing and clapping at the same time. Um, but with that being said, we all have been given different gifts. We all have a specific calling. We all have something that God has in store for us. And so what I want to do this morning before you head out and face another work week or another week ahead without knowing what's going to happen, what I want to do is I've taken the liberty to, to modify slightly the blessing and the, the encouraging words that my friend shared with me. And I would like to speak them over you as you leave today so you can enter into your week with these words upon your ears. So I'm here to tell you how much God loves you and how proud he is to call you his. He wants you to acknowledge that as the king of the universe, he did everything right in making you. He is pained when you deny him that. Have faith in who he made you, deeper than a leader or a mother or a father or a grandpa or a grandma or a young man or a young woman, as an employee or an employer, but as you, as a prince or a princess of the Most High King, as his warrior, his child, and his friend. Don't think he didn't make you enough. He made you just enough, the perfect amount. You will never forget the way he smiles when you know that in your heart. May you be blessed this week. May we be a church that continues to step out and answer the call, whatever that may be, so that we can play our part in God's name being lifted high for our part in the symphony of God being a beautiful, fragrant noise so that people who are far from him would come to be near to him and they too would experience the prosperity and the peace and the shalom of who Jesus is. God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming. We'll see you next week.